We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? The Lakers dropped game three of the Western Conference Finals, putting them in a position where if they want to move on, they're going to have to do something unprecedented in NBA history. That's come back from a 3-0 deficit. Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius. And D, uh, in the swirl of, of emotions, right, that, that come with this, the place that I wanted to start was Denver, right? Because yes. what I had hoped for in this, this playoff run was that we could stay healthy and get a clear view of where we're at. And if we were to lose to a team, if a team were to beat us four times out of seven because they were better than us, I could live with that. And they've done it three times, right? And like I said, it would be unprecedented for the Lakers to win four straight right here. But last night's game in particular, I was like, man, they hit Every shot off of a swing swing, their passes were right in everybody's shot pocket. They, you know, play with a great deal of force. They're a lot bigger than us. Rui was talking about this a bit last night. And so I just wanted to start there and then just how you feeling, man? I know you took last night's loss hard. None of us are ready for this to to end, right? And that 3-0 deficit and the unprecedented nature of that certainly is, uh, you know, the, the writing's on the wall in that respect. But I'd love to just hear where you're at on that. And then just Denver, man, they're, they're a really good team. Yeah, so first things first, I mentioned this to you last night that I was not really ready for the Lakers season to be over. And technically, mm-hmm. it's not over, but technically it is <laughs> in its own way as well. To have to sort of like recount all of this and really dive in when you're crestfallen. As no, let's a talk fan. about Let's be crestfallen then. Yeah. Like it's not the place where I wanted to be last night, yeah. especially, right? Like I just sort of wanted to wallow in my misery of being a fan. Yeah. And you have to write a recap. Uh, right? Instead, I'm chronicling it for Lakers.com, which I'm super appreciative of those opportunities, but it's mm-hmm. a double-edged sword. Right. Right. Where it's just like, oh, I get to write for the Lakers and I get to detail in excruciating manner. Like right. How... Our, our demise. <laughs> I've been there a few times. Yeah. Totally. And so I'm glad you said you wanted to start with Denver because I think we'll have plenty of time to talk about the Lakers. Coming into the series, I was weary of Denver as an opponent, even understanding that there was a clear path for the Lakers to win the series. 
And that wariness comes from their profile as a team and the quality of their best player and the very nature of them being a team that is very together, is very motivated and has coalesced, I think, at the right time with a lot of players in the right mindset in order to make this sort of run. Because all these games are on ESPN and ABC, we've been gifted this opportunity to sort of get like mic'd up access and all of this other stuff. And I was watching the one from game two. And this is the game where KCP didn't play as much in the second half because Bruce Brown really took on a prominent role. And KCP was mic'd up Mm -hmm. and he was in every huddle and talking to every teammate and just sort of offering words of encouragement and words of like, this is what I'm seeing. And he has that experience from his time with the Lakers. There's a certain type of veteran. KCP has been in the league now, what, 10 years? I th- I think this might be his 10th season, it's ninth or 10th yeah. season. And there's a certain amount of readiness that you get over time when you're a veteran guy. And I think all of their players are at their respective ages where they are ready to do something mm. special within the context of their own role. This is a great point. Right? Lots of guys right in their prime. Yeah. And as an opponent, it's like, oh man, like they've just got something yeah. right here. And you still believe in the side that you want to believe in, right? But like you said, every, every big shot they hit and every time they needed to make a play, they seemingly made it. I think I had made a comment at one point that like the Lakers really need to take a lead soon. Yeah. Because they were playing well enough to win, but Denver just kept making a shot that, oh, it's back to five. Oh, it's mm-hmm. back to three. Like, oh, like the Lakers have tied it. Oh, it's not tied anymore. They're up by six again. And it's just like, oh man, the Lakers really need to do something here or this game is going to end and Denver is just going to be up by seven again. And right where the game was there for, not for the taking, but where either side could have exerted their control, Denver again showed their worth and they showed their mettle as a playoff team and as the number one seed in the conference. And the section of the game I'd really want to focus in on was Jokic picks up that fourth foul where he clips AD's leg. And that's the point where if the Lakers are going to get that lead, going to go up by five or eight points, go on a little run, that's the time to do it. And they held it together in that stretch with just a lot of Great plays. KCP had a really good third quarter, and uh, he was a big character yeah, within he had that. Three threes that quarter. Yep, and and man, there's the difference in shot making. Like they're bigger than us, but they're also way better at shooting than we are. And you got to yeah. be one or the other, right? And so, just that stretch, I thought, really spoke to your point, D, about how they've got a lot of guys who are in that portion of their career, and and they're a team that has a level of continuity that I think that just I was very impressed by them in a way where I'm like, oh, of course, I'm sad, and I like I was. I was crestfallen in my own way, but there was also a certain degree. Tip of the cap, man. Like they they played a great game. 100%. And and as we reflect more on this Lakers season, like this is a Lakers team that has accomplished so much, like Mm -hmm. in their own way. Mm -hmm. And also getting absolutely steamrolled in a way that is like 
upsetting in in its own way as well. It, mm-hmm. It's like this weird combination to me of the 2018 and the 2011 team, mm. where I was talking to you a lot about 2011, 2011 last yeah. night when we were texting offline and what Jokic is doing and what the Nuggets are doing and how they're doing it to this Lakers team reminds me some of 2011 in that, like, just this dominant player sort of exerting himself over a player that is known and respected and well thought of, right? And in the 2011 case, it was Dirk sort of um, going mano a mano with Pau Gasol and, and just being better than him. And this year it's Jokic sort of going mano a mano with with Anthony Davis in his own way and and just showing that he's got a different level in terms of like offensive stability mm-hmm. and this guy who who can really control the game on that side side of the floor that is hard to match. It certainly is, but there was another guy who scored 30 in the first half, right? And yeah, and yes. 53 through 3 quarters. That was the one part of like I've generally really liked our game plans over the course of these playoffs, but that was one thing I was texting you is like you got to press up on Murray, you got to like force him play him to drive and Part of what this experience in in this series is giving the Lakers is a certain amount of really valuable information on a number of levels where I thought the Murray matchup has been difficult in that Murray's not a big guy, but if you, the only guy that can really get up into his jersey is Dennis Schroeder, but he's so small that Dennis is not going to bother Murray on a sidestep or a step back if there's any space at all, right? And so, but the next like high, the next tallest player who's kind of capable of that is like it's like we go from that to oh now lebron's on him now we got Rui on him for a few minutes right? there's got to be a sure. guy sort of in between i think we're gonna have a lot of discussions about max christie over the course of this offseason who's gonna be a, a big character but yeah like on top of that like dirk and, and Jokic being having a very credible claim for the best player in the game there's another guy who's putting up 53 points in a three-quarter yes. span yeah, and, and that was a point I was making as well, except this team has a Jamal Murray who's capable of like hitting a level offensively that no one on that Mavs team was, right? And to speak to the Dennis and Murray matchup as well, it's not just height, it's like a certain amount of physicality and strength. Yeah. So Murray took Dennis into the post a couple of times. He When he was isolated on him, he went into a spin move and then just sort of like like off-armed him yeah. a little bit, like gave him a little chicken wing, totally legal. Yep. This is all this is like no one's complaining here. This is, this is basketball. It's, it's how you leverage a strength advantage. LeBron does this all of the time and just created separation that way. And then it's just like, and then he's too small. Right. To like contest and get up there. Just an excellent, excellent Denver team. Like there were a few plays that really will stick in my mind for the long haul. One was like the um, the KCP step back three that he hit over Lonnie Walker mm-hmm. from the left wing. That was a huge, huge shot. Porter hit a couple of threes in that third quarter where I was just like, oh, man. And then this one fell. There was a sequence where I think KCP hit a three. It wasn't the step back. And Porter Jr. hit a three. And in between, LeBron had an open three that he missed yeah. from the top of the key. There were a number of, of uh, sequences like that where it's like they make the open three, but we don't. Yeah. And that was just the difference. Like there were so many storylines from this game. But Denver took 88 shots. The Lakers took 84 shots. Right. So there's a four field goal attempt difference, but the Lakers took 10 more free throws. So there's your four or five possessions Mm -hmm. difference right there. Right. In terms of field goal attempts, the Lakers just got fouled more. But 
Denver took, I think, nine more or 19, like they took 12 more three-pointers and they made seven more threes Mm -hmm. than the Lakers. And that volume of attempts and makes is just a math problem at that point. Like the Lakers out-rebounded Denver. The Lakers had been bad on the glass Mm -hmm. through the first two games. Denver was really limited on on, uh, the offensive glass. I thought they made a, the Lakers made a concerted effort to really box out Jokic. Like Jokic even drew um, his third foul was where Austin was basically just battling him underneath. And Jokic just went right through him to try to get to an offensive rebound. And he... It honestly looked like he fouled him on purpose because he was just tired of dudes just sort of mauling him Mm -hmm. underneath the basket to try to keep him off of the glass. Dennis committed a foul trying to keep Jokic off of the glass Mm -hmm. by basically hooking his arms and tugging him to to try to – like that's the sort of stuff that was happening all night. And so the Lakers were really trying to win the battle on the glass, and they did. And they won the battle at the free throw line. And – all of these other areas of the game, the Lakers were actually as good or like a little bit ahead. But in the key area of shooting the basketball, like Denver was just so much better than the Lakers. And three is greater than two, Pete. And and in this game, the Nuggets, again, like just hats off to them. They made the shots. They made the plays. And down the stretch when it was time for Jokic to assert himself, like that rest he got, the fouls were actually beneficial to him in that he got rest when no one else did. Mm -hmm. And and the Lakers sort of punched themselves out trying to score with LeBron and AD on the court effectively against Denver's second unit front line. And that was the portion of the game. Mike said yep. that to us over text. He he was just like, this was the part of the game the Lakers needed to win by more. And instead, yep. they were like plus three yep. during that stretch. And they needed to be plus eight, nine, or 12 yep. during that stretch in order to gain separation. And they just couldn't do it. And that's that's a credit to Denver. Because when, when Jokic came back in, he was ready to assert himself. And he did exert as well. And he had a 15-point fourth quarter after not making a field goal in the fourth quarter in, in the first two games. He was the main driver down the stretch. And everything else got stripped away. It was no more Murray incredible shot making, mm-hmm. no more role players. It was Nikola Jokic going to work. And he was the MVP in that quarter and that's why they won basically it's like they were just the better team let's go to break here uh and when we come back let's flip our attention to the lakers we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think we gave a lot of credit where it's due to to Denver. I also don't want a loss to obscure the fact that the Lakers had some really strong performances within this game in a contest they knew they had to win. And I think several guys showed up with the right amount of like, I'm going to go get this. I thought AD played an excellent basketball game that's going to basically be erased by history, right? But um, I thought he played with a level of of bounce and force and with attack mentality that was crucial in keeping the Lakers in the game when the guy on the other side is having a 30 point half. Like a Mm -hmm. lot of times that could be a like, Oh my goodness, we're getting blown out of the blown out of the water by this singular performance. And I thought AD was really good in, in keeping the Lakers in it. What did you see? That was the most athletic burst I've seen from AD in a minute. The the other game that stood out in this respect, and it's funny because we lost this one too, was game five versus Memphis. Like we got blown out. That was the one where he went, out for like a minute and then they went on like a 25 to 2 run or something like that. But that's been something that on my concerns about the Lakers both now and going forward, AD's level of athleticism is pretty high up there. And so just to see a certain level of burst, uh, and a lot of times that shows up on the boards, right? Like he had 16 rebounds very quickly. And I think there was a certain level of tiring out. And I think that that's true kind of team-wide too, where he had like 16 through two and a half quarters and then he ended with 18. Um, but he, I thought he was, he was defending very well and just kind of flying all around all over the place. And then just... Yeah, a lot of those drop steps. He's hitting his little mid-range floater. I thought it was something, it was a game that really showed what he's capable of in terms of tying the whole defensive concept together. And his ability to kind of get any rebound that he wants to is something that allows you to play smaller. I think we take this idea too far for what it's worth, but it allows you to kind of play smaller in other places that was just, I thought he had a phenomenal game just running the court, just athletically. that's, That's something that... I wonder what degree both him and LeBron, their feet are doing okay because they are playing through injuries to some to some degree, right? Uh, but to see that from AD, that level of athletic burst is something that was really encouraging. Yeah, I thought he high pointed the ball a fair number of mm-hmm. times, and to me, that's where you know that he is operating at at a certain yeah. level. Like he caught a couple of lobs, he spun out at like tip dunk here Mm -hmm. another tip dunk attempt where he had to catch it at a weird angle and then the ball sort of got hit a little bit so so he lost it um there was a rebound that he got where he crashed down from the free throw line area and basically just went way over the top of Jokic's back and just grabbed a Mm -hmm. defensive rebound where it's just like okay this is a version of ad we got tonight and if he's going to continue to play at this level. He just needs a certain amount of support from, from other guys. And um, 
that's where I want to pivot a little bit to Austin. Mm-hmm. Austin Reeves. Unreal. There's a certain amount of metal that a player has and or that you either have or you don't, right? And Austin is a guy who has it. How far that's going to carry him over the course of like a long career, like I don't really know. Like, is he going to end up being this guy who went undrafted and makes like all-star games? I have no clue. That seems like a stretch to me, but then... I don't know, man. Uh, it seems like a stretch to me like Listen, a season right. and a half ago He'd be the where starting I would guard on the Western Conference <laughs> yes. finalist, right? Like, that's the thing. He's, he's earned every bit of territory that he has in the NBA. And I think that this playoff run has really shown just how capable he is. And it's funny how much like reputation will precede a player in that like a guy like him has to do it in order to be put in the position to get reach the next level. Right. And so like, I I have no doubts about Austin in, in that respect. And he's, it's that combination of metal, but also legit skill. Like he's the one guy on the team. You give him a clean three point look. This wasn't true last year too. This is something that he's improved upon. You give him a clean look, you know, he's probably going to knock that down. And you combine that with his ball handling ability. And then we're going to talk about D'Lo a little bit later, but the ability to speed his game up and still be able to maintain kind of the integrity of his shot making, I think is just super, super key. So yeah, like I, he, he's really capable, man. And I actually think that we're going to have a lot of conversations about him as a, a point guard next year and, and you know, what, what that looks like. I try to run almost every day. And there are times where, because I run, then my little Instagram feed will like my little algorithm will will send me clips of randomly of people running and here's some guy on on like a treadmill and there's this one clip I saw where there's like three runners and the treadmills all set at the same speed and just the difference in exertion that it looks like when people are running all at like the treadmills at 10. Mm-hmm. What's it look like when this person is running at 10 versus mm-hmm. that person mm-hmm. running at 10 and then this other person running at 10. Uh, that point you're making about Austin being able to speed up this game. This is the thing where we talk about how a player can't be sped up. They actually are being sped up, but their natural state allows them to continue to play when the game is fast around them to continue to play at their level. And it's just like it's it's where like, okay, the level of exertion that I'm showing or the that when the treadmill is at seven, it it looks like my running form isn't breaking when I'm running at nine or when I'm running at 11 or damn, this is at 12 now. And it's like this other person looks like they're about to fall off the damn (laughs) treadmill because they're in a full sprint. But I've got all my form looks exactly the same. And Austin has all this craft and all of this skill. And he is so confident in what his own counters are to what guys are throwing at him through an individual defense that he just looks capable in almost every situation. There was a play last night and Van Gundy was talking about it where he said, you you know, a lot of times guys get into the paint, they're playing off off two feet and they're basically got nowhere to go. They came to a jump stop and they've got nothing to do. And he's like, some players just panic in that instance. Mm -hmm. Like they have no outs what are they going to do? And then he highlighted that Austin just sort of patiently just pivots and pivots and then ball fakes and then seeks contact, draws a foul, and then now he's at the foul line. And there's a headiness to him 
that it makes it sound like, oh, well, he's just the Billy Hoyle, right? He's <laughs> like the white men can't jump guy. He is like, like it's all stereotypical stuff, but he actually does play with a headiness and a craft and like this fundamental idea of I know what I'm doing. And then the competitiveness and the guile and the metal that, that he shows, it all combines just to where he's like, oh, another 23 point game. He shot 70% yeah. from the field. He went three for five from beyond the arc. And one of those threes is like the Lakers were down. Denver just hit a huge three, I think, to go up 11 or 13. Mm -hmm. And he comes down and just buries a three. And it's just like, like, big shot. We're not dead. Right. Like I'm going to hit shots. And he's been doing that this whole series, especially. And I just wanted to make sure that we highlight some of the good stuff that these guys were doing, because Austin was great in a game that the Lakers lost. And that sucks. But I like he was a special. super impressive playoff run from Austin. Um, this whole idea of being sped up, I think, is applicable to Delo's struggles as well. This is something that I've been kind of concerned about. And even after game one, I was like, you know, he was bad in a way that concerns me going forward in the series. And so what are you seeing from D'Lo? Because that's my my biggest concern is that he's and this is something we saw in the regular season is that his he can get thrown off his rhythm as a shooter as well. Right. Where the game gets to a certain level of speed and a certain level of physicality and then he's kind of off in terms of his rhythm. He has a very unique pace to his game. It's a little bit slower. And I've, I've seen his running form as, as you put it earlier, start mm -hmm. to break down in ways where we've seen a couple uh, videos where after the a game, he's struggled, he's working on his three ball in the gym afterward. Right. And you'll see him on these open shots now, right? Not something where he's got back pressure from Michael Porter Jr. or he's got KCP heating him up. This is a wide open corner three and he's shooting it and he's like drifting left. And you can see him really like, kind of like struggling to to corral his form in the way that it really looks when, when he's got it going. And so that's something that when you have that along with not a great, not a great deal of force defensively. I think we've seen, like we were talking going into the third quarter, you can't start that same group to start that third quarter. Right. And I get it. You weren't yep. going to stick with the guys that got you there. And there's a certain degree of like, there aren't obvious options coming off the bench in a couple of instances, particularly at the guard spot where it's like, Oh, if we put in Lonnie, Lonnie Walker, the fourth, that's going to solve all our problems. Although I thought Lonnie was okay in different spots. Right. So I get it. I get why, why uh, Darwin went in that direction, but Delo's having a, a hard go of it. And what are you seeing from his game? I'm seeing a lot of the same things that, that you're seeing that there's a certain amount of like, he is because he's playing at his own pace guys are you know when a guy is like like a junk ball pitcher mm -hmm. like a jamie moyer mm -hmm. right and like if mike was here he would explain jamie moyer was a he threw 75 right mile an hour fastball and still <laughs> he was 47 yeah. years old yeah he, he played for the seattle right. mariners <laughs> but like Delo can be a junk ball mm. pitcher at times, right? Like he is a guy who doesn't rely on a lot of velocity. He relies on craft and skill. And but when a, when you've got guys with tremendous bat speed, and then they catch on to your cadence, mm, that's a great word. They seem to be all yeah. they seem to be all over you all of the time. And so then. As the pitcher, you start to 
get finer and finer and trying to steer the ball into very specific places where it's just like, okay, you may be on my cadence, but if I throw it at this angle or if I try to hit this precise corner, then I'm going to get you swinging and missing just because I'm so precise. And that's the feeling I get from D'Lo when he's like putting guys in jail, coming off of these screens. He is like drifting and fading in all of these different directions. He is trying to be very precise Mm. in where he's getting to on the court in order to get a clean look at the basket. But these aren't clean looks. And now when he does get a clean look, all of that muscle memory from the way that he's had to play over the course of two and a half or three games, those are embedded Mm -hmm. in him. So he does start to drift on these open shots. He doesn't feel comfortable within his own mechanics. And it's pretty clear. It's just like you watch him shooting after the game and these are practice jumpers and everything is normalized. Again, and he's making 10, 15, 20 in a row. And it's just like, that's the shooter right there. It's why he's so skilled. But you get him in a playoff environment where the other team is going at him. And I think psychologically, that has to play a part in this too. Like he knows, he knows that he's in the center of their scope. When he's on the defensive side of the ball, he got switched on to Murray multiple times because the Lakers put Vando on Murray to start the game. All they were doing was then screening with Delos, man. So they were running yeah. ball screens with KCP and Michael Porter Jr. in order to get in order to try to force a switch like they're doing like like sized screen actions. Right. And that's basically to get Delo. On him, he gave up like the first eleven points of the game. One of them was in transition and maybe a little ungenerous. It was a, was a three, yeah, yeah, but yeah. it was his guy to pick up, right? And but yeah, that's absolutely the case. They were like, "Hey, we're going to target you every single play." And the, the beginning of the game, that's how Murray started to get hot. Yeah, and this is where the egalitarian style of the Warriors probably worked against them a little bit because mm. I live in the Bay Area. Like, I, there's a bunch of Warriors fans that are on my timeline, and they're just like, "Well." The Warriors need to be doing more to attack D'Angelo mm-hmm. Russell. They should be going to Andrew Wiggins and they should be posting up Wiggins and run doing this and doing that. And it's just like, well, that's not what the Warriors do. They're not going to hammer a mismatch like that. And so D'Lo, I thought, even though he had some difficult defensive matchups, he wasn't stressed defensively in the same way that he's getting stressed defensively in this series. And when they're attacking you the way that they are, and then on both sides of the court now, right? So he's getting attacked defensive, defensively when, when he has to guard. And then when he's being defended himself, they are really up on him. They are really shading him in certain directions. They are offering back pressure. They are, KCP is just an excellent defensive mm-hmm. player. We've seen this firsthand. And Delos is not creating any sort of space. And he's being defended by a guy who is his size. It's not like he has natural advantages where it's just like, oh, you, this is a small guy. That's part of why they're targeting him in the first place, right? Is that, and this speaks to kind of a broader team-wide issue and where like Austin and D'Lo, I think can hurt each other in this respect in that 
they're going, one of them is going to be on bigger guy. This happened to Austin a few times yesterday too, where he found himself on like Bruce Brown in the paint. There was one play where Brown hit a little floater and just elevated over the top of Austin. And it's like, when you put two non-athletes next to each other in whatever position, right? But if you put them next to each other, you're putting one of those guys in a position where the other team probably does have an athlete at that spot. And that does have that. And so when D'Lo doesn't have those physical advantages, that's why you see him leaning and trying to, you know, put a guy in jail, but then, you know, sidestep and lean to the side and he's shooting very difficult shots. I think probably trying to prove that he can, you know, that he can score in these situations, but they're not good shots in the first place. And so, but part of that is because of that domino effect. Well, and understandably the Lakers are relying on him too right and so like they're putting the ball in his mm-hmm. hands in order to create offense and some of these shots are shots where it's just like okay well I can I can make versions of these mm-hmm. shots um and he's just not this series like what did he finish in last night's he was game one for eight was he one for eight or one for nine right and so he hit his first shot of the game yep, man. at corner three that was it and then he went over eight the rest of the game and the shot quality that he's getting isn't great, but he's, he can be a difficult shot maker. Like the floater, th- he hit this floater against the warriors where it was swing, swing. He ball faked either that, or he caught the ball and then he stepped in, but he hit like this ridiculous baseline, 16, 18 foot. That jumper went like 12, that went like over 20 feet in the air. Yeah. 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 Went like over the shot clock basically. And, and fell in. So he can be a tough shot maker, but he's doing so much of his work off of the dribble. It's just hard for him. I want to pivot, though, here really quickly before we wrap up to talk about LeBron, mm-hmm. because one of the side effects of D'Lo struggling the way that he is, is that, OK, well, then who do you give the ball to? And Austin benefited from from this some, but the guy who really took on more of the offensive initiator load was LeBron. Now he's been doing this since game one. Um, and I thought Denver's switching style in game one got LeBron into the mindset of like, I'm going to start to corral possessions very early on mm-hmm. in this series. And he's been that way ever since, like more than what he had been at any point since he's returned from his foot injury, I would say. And LeBron, 23 points, 12 assists, 7 rebounds, 8 for 19 from from the floor, 3 for 9 from 3. A couple of those were late ones where he's trying to, you know, make an impact and and get the Lakers back into the game. What did you think about LeBron's overall game and just the general vibe of, of his role within everything the Lakers were trying to do? I thought he was good, but not great. Um, I think one of the big discrepancies in this series has been he's been, as you said, the main perimeter ball handler, whereas for Denver, that's been Murray. Jokic obviously is is omnipresent on both the perimeter and in the post. But in terms of like the ball handler, 30 feet from the basket faced up to the rim, right? Like that's been LeBron and Murray mostly. And just the difference in pull up jump shooting, right? He hit his first two threes of the series in last night's game. So this was one of his better jump shooting performances, but there's, it's, these are games historically, like a game like this D that he'd have gone for 35 and 
13 and 12 type of game. Right. And, and I do wonder because he's just not moving the way that he was earlier in this year. Again, how much the foot has, has bothered him, but he hasn't been able to access the monster that he used to be. And that was always going to happen at some point. And again, maybe it's a matter of, maybe it's a, a, a function of the foot, but one of my impressions from last night's game is that he he didn't take over the game, right? Like there wasn't a LeBron stretch of the game really at any point, despite solid, you know, final uh, final numbers in terms of production, right? And so that I guess is part of my impression is that he didn't make a huge one in terms of relative to a lot of the other games that he's had in this type of position in, in his career. Yeah, I think that that's fair. The thing that I would mention to LeBron's credit is that I thought he really controlled the flow of the game in the half court for the Lakers to ensure that they got that, a lot of good yes, shots. I agree with that. They they just a lot of those shots just but didn't there's go. A, in, that's a that's a right? like caretaker and, role where that isn't the dominant yes. right. Like you're going to have to send two to me, and that's going to totally. create open shots. It, it's a different way of going about it. Yeah, and to Denver's credit, credit they mm-hmm. went zone a few times. They like doubled. They really did try to mix up their coverages a little bit to ensure that it couldn't just be what LeBron was in the last quarter and a half of game one, where the Lakers went on their run in in order to try to get back in in to it. They weren't going to let him play clean and just back a guy down and do all all of this stuff. The thing is, though, is that in the past, LeBron would then just say, well, then I'm just going to drive or I'm just going to be in the pick and roll and I'm going to get downhill and I'm going to attack, attack, attack. And he picks his spots more now. I thought that he was great as a passer. I thought that he was good as I thought he was good as a scorer and I thought his overall floor game was like probably a Mm -hmm. B plus to an A minus there were some shot making things that I wish were better but it's just like that's just Mm -hmm. how it goes at some point so overall like Murray and Jokic played to the level that you would have wanted LeBron and AD to play yeah. to like I thought AD probably had a very similar game to Jokic this game was maybe mm-hmm. even better than him overall um but Jokic was great down the stretch when when the team really needed him I thought the game went mm-hmm. away from from AD a little bit and that the Lakers fired a lot of their bullets trying yeah. to get back into a game that um where they really did need some extra support and that's where I thought like one of D'Lo or Rui really needed to pop and Rui was fine. um, But D'Lo was, he was just bad in this game. And um, I thought one other player that I would just mention really quickly is like Dennis's offense has also not been there very much. And it's like, it's hard to win basketball games when like you don't get multiple role players sort of, showing their worth offensively in the ways Mm. that they're capable or you need your stars to just be like okay we scored 70 combined this game and the Lakers stars have not been able to put up that sort of effort so far this series like when Phoenix beat Denver twice it was because Booker and KD were basically just like yeah we we scored 75 combined here's 86 yeah exactly that's part of the value of this playoff run for the Lakers is that this is the period of the season that really reveals a lot of truth. And the the fact that we've played three different types of teams to this point has given us just a lot of data to work with. And so um, game four coming up on Monday, 
real quick thoughts on that, D. What's a, we, we got to empty the clip. What does that look like? Well, I just think it's going to require a certain amount mm-hmm. of belief is what I'll be looking for from both LeBron and, and AD. Do they believe that they can win? Because if they believe that they can win, then I think they're going to put their best foot forward and that they're going to do everything they can in, in order to force a game five. Um, the thing I've loved about the Lakers this entire mm-hmm. season is their resiliency and this will be, I don't want to say another test of that because right. they've proven to me that they have it. It's just a matter of, do they want to do the thing that that can be done, but will it ultimately matter? Because we are talking about right. like history making stuff here if if they're going to try to win this series. Yeah, I, I don't doubt that they have that. I look at it from more of a practical standpoint of, I think we got to start with our best five and play that group, you know, as many minutes as possible. This is a, everybody's playing 42 minutes type of, type of game. Um, and so to me, that starting group has, and again, I understand why Darvin's kind of stuck with his guys, but they've gotten us into some big holes. And so I think that, you know, looking at starting Dennis, looking at starting Rui and seeing if we could ride that, I think it's probably the way to go, but Lakers are in a tough spot. Again, uh, it would be unprecedented for them to come back from this, but uh, they've shown a great deal of fight all season. So that's what I'm looking for to uh, just as that foundational ingredient. All right, we'll be back after game four. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. They win. Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Good. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's, There's the move. Two. Missing. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yeah. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good. Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.